So now please turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus. And we'll be reading Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 14. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 to 14. If you're using the church Bibles, it's on page 86 of your Bibles. Exodus 32, verse 1 to 14. So tonight we want to um, think about this, this golden calf incident that is recorded in this book. So now please pay attention to this infallible word of our Lord. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded him, commanded them. They had made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored to the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out, or kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger, and relent from this, uh, from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land, all this land I, that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. 
and the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on His people. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. So as we came to the end of the book of Malachi, beginning from this evening, we want to consider the incident of the golden calf and the subsequent events over the next several sermons, if I happen to have another chance to preach in this congregation. As we are currently studying the Ten Commandments with Warren in our worship services, I, th- I believe this passage is particularly relevant for us to think about. Well, the, this passage of the, the Golden Calf incident is, I think, quite well-known um, passage. But upon closer examination, there are numerous lessons we can derive from it. And our primary primary focus this evening will be on the sin of the people, the nature of the sin the people committed. And then the and then secondly the subsequent intercession by Moses. So just to just to confirm the the the, the context of this story, after the people of Israel arrived Mount Sinai, they are given the law from the Lord. And this law included the Ten Commandments. And then um, and that, that's, that's recorded in Exodus 20, followed by the, the, the so-called Book of Covenant, which, which includes more specific laws. And then from chapter 25, the instructions for constructing the sanctuary is given from the Lord. And during the, this time, Moses ascended to the summit of Mount Sinai to, to, to encounter the Lord. And, and to receive all these laws from God. And the Bible speaks that, that Moses remained there for a period of 40 days and 40 nights. And it was during this crucial period of Moses' absence that this incident of the golden calf broke out among the people. The first verse of today's chapter records, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So the people of Israel approached Aaron with a request to create a golden calf, create an idol, an act that was strongly condemned by the Lord. And we are uncertain from the, the, the passage about Aaron's thoughts regarding the people's demand. Well, it, is, it is certainly possible that he recognized their, their request as being in direct contradiction to the commandments of the Lord God. However, he might have been just swayed by the intensity of the people's out, outcry. Nonetheless, Aaron ended up listening to the voice of the people, and he gathered golden earrings from the people and made an image of a calf. But firstly, it is, I think, important to note that the sin of the people in this chapter 
it was not a violation of the first commandment, but rather the second commandment. If you look at verse uh, latter half of verse four and verse five, the Bible says, "And they said, 'These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt.'" When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord." With this phrase, "These are your gods," appear. Appears several times in today's chapter, but I think this translation、um, can be somewhat problematic. The Hebrew word used here for、um, gods is Elohim, which can, of course, refer to pagan deities. But is this word is also used, of course, to denote God, God in the Bible? The the word God with with a capital G is also translated from this term Elohim. And furthermore, the Bible records that Aaron built an altar before this golden calf, and he declares the the covenant name of the Lord. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, with 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 this word Lord in all capitals. And then what they did was they offered the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, which are of course ordained by the Lord God as well. So, in other words, the people so did not completely forsake their faith in the Lord God who had delivered them from Egypt. Well, that that would have been the the first the violation of the first commandment. But instead, they fashioned a visible representation of the Lord that they could readily worship, which which is of course the violation. Of the second commandment. So, in other words, the people here are not leaving the Lord God and worshiping another deity, but they are only trying to worship the Lord. But the means they took were problematic, and it is not permissible for people to use their own selfish means to worship God, even if it is from good motives such as. Enthusiasm, or whatever they had in their heart, and and this is exactly the essence of the second commandment, as we have already learned several weeks ago when we considered the second commandment itself. And the true nature of the sin, the sin of violating the second commandment. Becomes, I think, especially evident when we examine the progression of events in the whole book of Exodus. So, when God commanded Moses to build a sanctuary in Exodus twenty-five, the Lord said, "It's it's in Exodus twenty-five eight, and let them make a sanctuary." Well, the Lord said to Moses, "And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst." This is an important. Commandment from the Lord, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So, in essence, the construction of the sanctuary served as the means for the presence of the Lord to dwell among the people. Actually, the the Hebrew word for the tabernacle is mishkan, literally means a dwelling place. The purpose of the sanctuary. 
is to sort of accommodate the Lord's presence among the people of Israel. And it is of interest that, that this record of the golden calf incident appears to sort of interrupt the account of building a sanctuary. Because the detailed instructions for, for constructing a sanctuary, like there, the, there's, there's like instructions for every single items in the sanctuary. And these instructions are given in Exodus 25 through 31. While the actual construction is recorded in Exodus 35 through 40, and this portion of Exodus 32 through 34 seems to be sort of interrupting this, this whole flow of, of, of constructing the sanctuary. And, and this has led many liberal and critical scholars to, to sort of conclude that this arrangement is really, really illogical. And it is the result, they, they say that it is the result of rather clumsy editing of a later reductor who sort of formed the, the Pentateuch in, in the final form. And they, they suggest that, that the tabernacle account and the, the golden calf incident originally belonged to a different source, per se. However, of course, it is not the case. God's word is, 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 is in its present form. And, and I think there is significance in the placement of the golden calf incident located in Exodus 32 through 34. Because after the detailed instructions for making a sanctuary are given, the people of Israel immediately fall into worshiping the golden calf. And I think this, this fact presents an ironic contrast. While the Lord intended for the sanctuary to fulfill the people's longing for his presence, the Lord commanded them to make a sanctuary so that he can dwell in the midst of his people. But, but while that was the Lord's in, intention, the people sought to materialize the Lord's presence in a decidedly different manner by creating a golden calf. And, and of course, this is evident from the opening verse of today's passage in which the people demand, make us God who shall go before us. They longed for God, who can, who can, who, whom they can visualize and who can physically stand before them and, and who, can, who can go before them. And the chosen method of worship by, by the people of Israel was to make a car, carved figure, an action that, that the Lord explicitly condemns in the second commandment. And as a result, this transgression provoked the Lord's anger and required Moses to intercede on behalf of the people. To further understand the nature of this sin, the violation of the second commandment, I think we can turn to Psalm 106, which we'll be singing later. And, and Psalm 106 provides clarity on this issue. Psalm 106 verses 19 and 20 reads, They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. As this passage shows, the essence of the violation of the second commandment 
lies in the act of replacing the glory of God, the Creator, with that of His creatures. Again, even if the intention of the people behind creating the idol is to worship the true God, as long as the object of, of their worship is a human-made idol, the worship itself fails to bring glory to the Lord God. But instead, it becomes a form of reverence directed towards mankind or their creations, per se. True worship should always be focused on the Creator God alone, not His creatures. And in this particular instance, the people bestowed glory upon the golden calf they had fashioned, which was a grave error. The glory that should have been attributed solely to the Lord God was mistakenly directed towards the idol. They proclaim in verse 4, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. We see here, this is nothing less than attributing the Lord's glorious work of delivering his people out of the land of Egypt to the, to the golden calf, which they just made for themselves. <clears throat> As a result, the actions of the people in worshipping the golden calf provoked the burning wrath of God. From verse 7, it reads, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your go down for your people whom you brought whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I, I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may, take, I may make a great nation of you. This last word, you, is in singular. So in response to the stubbornness and disobedience of the people, the, the word stiff-necked describes the people's attitude. In response to, to, to that, the Lord declares a severe judgment upon those who, who, who are unwilling to obey their master's commands as if, as if an ox, a plowing ox, if it's, if it's so, so hard, to, 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 to settle the, the direction of that animal. The Lord declares a severe judgment towards those people who are stubborn and disobedient to him. Here the Lord no longer refers to the people as my people, but he calls the Israelites your people. I mean Moses' people in verse 7. And the Lord pronounces the judgment that his wrath may burn hot against them and, and consume them with the intention of starting a new nation with Moses alone. The Lord here is saying that he will just start over everything 
and he is saying that that he will make a new nation out of Moses alone. This this is a really severe proclamation of God's judgment. And 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 and, and these verses demonstrate the, the gravity of God's judgment and his attitude towards sin and particularly the breaking of his covenant. God never overlooks or tolerates sin. Covenant breaking deserves death penalty. It is evident from, from this passage. However, in the face of this divine wrath, Moses takes it upon himself to intercede for the people of Israel, as we see from verse 11 onwards. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out, brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with, great might, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Indeed, in this situation, Moses here does not attempt to make sort of excuses or trying to defend the actions of the people, but instead he appeals to the faithfulness of God. And his faithfulness towards his covenant with his people in particular. I think it, it is important for us to recall that in, in Exodus chapter 2, the, the very last verse, uh, few verses of Exodus 2, it serves sort of as a prologue for the whole book of Exodus. But in, in those, those verses, it reads, The Lord heard and saw and remembered the Israelites in Egypt because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. During those days, those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So this is a foundational passage that sets the stage for the, the entire story of Exodus. It highlights the, the, the enduring nature of God's covenant and his faithfulness to it. And it is, it is really significant that, the, that Moses here in Exodus 32 is also referring to the same covenant. Moses relies on God's faithfulness to the covenant 
the Lord made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses understands that the deliverance of the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt was solely due to God's faithfulness to his covenant. And throughout the book of Exodus, the emphasis is repeatedly placed on God's faithfulness to his covenant and his steadfast love for people, his people, based on his faithfulness. So Moses' intercession is really a legitimate one. He is referring to the Lord's faithfulness in his covenant. And upon hearing Moses' intercession, the Bible records that the Lord relented from the disaster he had intended to bring upon his people in verse 14. I've been asked by several people in the past that, that like, like if you're reading like this, this kind of verses, some people may ask, why? How, how can God relent? Is, is he like changing his mind? Or is he changing his plan by, by hearing from Moses? I think for this verse, it is important for us to note that the word relent used here is translated from the Hebrew term naham. And while if you, if you say God relented, it, it could imply a sudden change of his mind. But naham can also carry the meaning of to be sorry or even to have compassion with something. So, I think it's not that the Lord has suddenly changed his mind, but rather the Bible is talking about the Lord being compassionate to his people through, through Moses' intercession. We see here that the Lord is the one who never oversees the sin and covenant breaking. The covenant breaking, if you break his covenant, that deserves death basically. But at the same time, the Lord is always faithful to his covenant, and he is always compassionate and merciful with his people. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, further emphasizes these aspects of the Lord's nature, reinforcing the idea of his steadfast love and his willingness to forgive and show compassion to his people despite their transgressions. In, in this, on this particular instance. Let me read from Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 16 onwards. But they and our fathers acted pre presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf, and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great, great blasphemies. You, in your great mercies, did not forsake them 
in the wilderness. You, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. So as Nehemiah states here, despite the seriousness of the people's covenant breaking, the intercession of Moses, and, and most significantly, the compassion and mercy of the Lord himself prevented the complete destruction of the entire people of Israel. And this story of, of the golden calf actually continues with the purging of the people and, and followed by Moses' further intercession, which we hope to explore further later. In, in, in a different occasion. However, for now, let us reflect on how we can apply today's passage to our own life of faith a little bit more. Firstly, we should learn from today's passage the importance of obeying God's commandments, of course. Specifically, we should pay attention to the second commandment. Well, in the modern age, I think there is a growing trend of human-centered worship, per se, in, 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 in many Christian churches. They may discuss, you know, what kind of worship they should have in order for them to be more focused, and, or how, what kind of worship they can have in order for them to be more, more sort of joyfully and wholeheartedly praise the Lord in their worship. Some of, some of them may think, how can they make their worship more attractive to, to young people so that they can, they can have more, more young people in, in their, their congregations? I think these are the questions that are widely discussed in the churches these days. During my time serving as a, as a staff worker for, for, for the InterVersity Fellowship, like, like, a, like a Christian union here, um, back in Japan, I, I recall a discussion that arose concerning the 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 use of a of a smoke machine in in our 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 meeting, and one one staff work, well like smoke machine which produces like a like a dry ice smoke, like um in like like a concert events or or whatever, and one staff worker suggested that that the smoke would enhance students' focus on the scripture by sort of obscuring their, their surroundings. They, they can focus on just on the Bible by, 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 by having those smoke. And, 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 and that, that guy said it would create a more visually captivating experience for, for the young, young students. Well, by the way, this, this was one of the reasons why, why I chose to sort of depart from, from them, but, but, but for, for their, their, their owner. I, I need to note that this was a specific situation at that time, and, and it may not reflect what you know how they're doing these days. But I think I, I would speculate that that a similar discussion is going on in many churches around the world. They are more concerned on how they can, you know, fo focus on God or how they can worship God in their preferable manner. However, there is, of course, a danger of violating the second commandment in these attitudes. 
because worship should not be primarily focused on on how we enjoy or 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 focus or joyfully worship our God, but rather our worship is 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 to to for us to glorify our God in the manner He has appointed. But I, after speaking these things, I think I would assume that I would assume that most of, most of you here would think you know we are far off from from these these kinds of. Of, of attitude or trends in, in the modern churches. We are the Reformed Presbyterians, the Covenanters. We hold on to the regulative principle of worship. We all hold on to, to exclusive somebody. How can we violate the second commandment by, by falling into human-centered worship? However, I think we, need, we also need to be aware that the second commandment is about whom we give glory in our worship. So we should question ourselves, are we truly glorifying God in our worship? Or are we merely proud of our church traditions or, or our identity as covenanters? Distinctive principles of our church are are, are not for us to boast upon ourselves, nor look down upon our brothers and sisters in other denominations. No, we, we hold on to these principles because we, so that we, we, so that we, we, we hold on to these principles because we really want to faithfully respond to God in our worship, because we really want to give glory to God himself, most of all, in our worship, in every possible way. We all need to be aware of that. Keeping second commandment should be a constant, constant challenge for us as well. And then secondly, we must always acknowledge and confess our shortcomings in regards to God's law, including the second commandment. No one can perfectly fulfill God's law, both in our public worship and in our private lives. We often substitute the glory of God with something else, don't we? When we witness God's righteous anger towards the covenant-breaking people in today's passage, we need we also need to be we, we also need to fear that. We also need to acknowledge the seriousness of God's anger. However, we need to remember another important thing from today's passage. That is our need for mediator, our need of someone who can intercede on behalf of us. As sinners, we always require someone to intercede between God and ourselves. In fact, when the, the incident of the golden calf occurred, Moses was away from the people on, on top of Mount Sinai. And this fact, I think, signifies the necessity of an intercessor. We can, we can put it this way. This, this incident broke out because Moses 
who was supposed to be leading and interceding for the people was absent from the people of Israel. And brothers and sisters, thankfully, we now have Jesus Christ as our intercessor, who of course surpasses Moses in every way. Christ is now serving as our intercessor. Paul writes in Romans 8, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ is now interceding for us on his throne. Just as God showed compassion and mercy to the Israelites through Moses' intercession, we are now under far better intercessor. We are now under Jesus' intercession. As we remember during our communion season last week, Jesus' righteousness is now imputed to us, and the price of our sin has already been paid through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. And this Jesus, who now sits at the right hand of God, continues to intercede for us, even in this very moment. And through this Jesus' intercession, we are recipients of God's mercy. Although we are still very much influenced by our own sin, we, despite the fact that we, we so easily sin and, and break the, the, the covenants God has made with us, we are already declared righteous and we are called to obey God's law out of love for him. So as we, as we start our new week, new week today, as we commence this new week, let us be reminded again of, of our, our, our tendency to exchange the glory of God for other things due to our own sinful nature. Nevertheless, let us also express gratitude that we are no longer hopeless in our sin. For we have a perfect intercessor, Jesus Christ. Just as Moses interceded on behalf of Israelites, the Israelites, Jesus continues to intercede for us by sending us the Holy Spirit even at this very moment. Therefore, let us pray, place our trust in this intercessor and let us strive to walk worthily of the privilege bestowed upon us as God's people. Amen. Dear God, our Father, we give you thanks for this precious word tonight. Father, thank you for reminding us through your word our sinful nature, similar to that of the people who made a golden calf and exchanged the glory of yourself. Father, thank you for reminding us your mercy and your compassionate upon us, your compassion upon us. Father, thank you that you have always been faithful to your covenant you have given us by your grace alone. 
And most of all, Father, thank you for sending us the perfect intercessor, Jesus Christ, who is still interceding on, on, on our behalf on your right-hand throne. So, Father, please continue to, to purify us through your words and through your spirit so that we can walk worthily to this wonderful privilege. Father, please make us respond to your covenant as we seek to serve you in our life. Please make us love you through obeying your, your covenant. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.